world's first test tube baby, Louise Brown was born over 42 years ago in Manchester, England. She was conceived through in vitro fertilization, where a mature egg from her mother was combined with her father's sperm in a laboratory dish. The fertilized egg was then implanted in her mother's uterus just a few days later. I remember the ethical debate that swirled all around this and the creation of the term Frankenbaby. Some people were outraged that science would be allowed to create human life in a test tube of all things. And Louise Brown's birth raised both legal and ethical questions at the time. Well, in vitro fertilization has now become mainstream as a medical procedure, and it's used daily by fertility clinics all around the world. This procedure, which was pioneered by British gynecologist Patrick Steptoe and scientist Robert Edwards, it's now viewed as a miraculous medical advancement rather than junk science created by technologists who are trying to play God. And the in vitro fertilization market, listen to this, is forecast to reach $37.7 billion over the next six years. In today's podcast, I will examine the role of ethics in the rapidly expanding fields of medicine and biology. Ethical boundaries need to be established before couples begin paying for their planned designer babies. Human cloning and human enhancements are now scientifically possible. But what are the ramifications to society if these technologies become accepted as mainstream medical practices without boundaries? Guidelines for the ethical use of technology need to be established now before rapid new biotech developments are released to the public. Governments put safeguards in place to keep us safe from new technologies that are being released into the marketplace. But ethical guardrails must also be put in place. Join me today as I interview myself on the subject of bioethics. Welcome to Conversations with Myself. I'm your host, Barry Phillips. And today, as in every episode, I'll be interviewing myself rather than talking with somebody who's vastly more knowledgeable or better informed. It's simply more fun this way. Conversations with Myself covers a wide variety of topics. I'll discuss the future of online education, the shift to digital currency, and I'll even look at strategies to escape the rat race. Today's podcast is sponsored by Church Doctor, Prescriptions for a Healthy Church. The reason that so many people avoid the church is that they view it as hypocritical and judgmental. They're not turning their backs on God, but they're fed up with religion. The church they see lacks authenticity. Church Doctor, Prescriptions for a Healthy Church, provides frank advice to the church, and some of it may prove a little painful. Physical therapy can also be painful, but it results in better health. In the same way, churches that follow the advice provided in this book may go through a season of growing pains, but the end result will be a healthier church. So stop what you're doing right now, unless of course you're driving, and go to amazon.com and order your copy of Church Doctor, Prescriptions for a Healthy Church. You'll be glad you did. And so will I, because I wrote this book, and I really want it to have a positive impact on the health of the church. So go to Amazon.com and search for Church Doctor Barry Phillips and order your paperback or ebook copy. Or order them both and accidentally leave your highlighted paperback copy in a prominent place in your church office. Thanks in advance. To begin this discussion on bioethics, 
I'd like to go back to a 2009 film called My Sister's Keeper, directed by Nick Cassavetes. In this film, there's a young girl named Anna who is used by her mother as a, an organ donor. She's donated blood. She's donated stem cells and tissue to her sister, Kate. And here's where it gets interesting. Because neither of the parents are a good genetic match, nor is the brother, the oncologist for Kate suggests to the parents that they can use in vitro fertilization to create this little designer baby. The goal was to create a sibling for Kate that would have the proper genetic match so that the new child would be able to donate body fluids, body parts, tissue to help Kate during her struggle with leukemia. So Anna was created by her parents with a purpose in mind. She would be used to treat her sister Kate. And from birth, Anna's life was nothing but pain. In the film, Anna has to endure so many medical procedures growing up. She's in and out of the hospital. She has to take growth hormone injections. She's on opioid painkillers and sleeping pills. She's had bleeding and infections. And all of these things were to help her sister. And Anna's mother, named Sarah, who's played by Cameron Diaz in the film, has no qualms whatsoever about using Anna's body to provide treatment to her sister, Kate. Think about this. As a child, Anna has no say in the matter. Her mother was able to sign the paperwork authorizing the doctors to do whatever they want. And at the age of 15, Kate experienced kidney failure. And Anna realized she was going to have to donate one of her own kidneys. And it was at this point where she decided to hire an attorney and sue her parents for medical emancipation. Anna knew that donating a kidney would change her life pretty radically. Yeah, she might not be able to have children. She wouldn't be able to play sports, wouldn't be able to drink alcohol. There's just so many different things. And so rather than just submit to that, she decided to find an attorney and see if there was any way that as a child, she could be released from the obligation to care for her sister. So this movie, My Sister's Keeper, which I recommend you view if you haven't seen it yet, gives us just a peek into one aspect of bioethics. There are so many concerns we have right now because technology is moving at this torrid pace and the role of ethics is falling behind. 50 years ago, we couldn't even imagine the technology that we have today, particularly in the field of medicine. We aren't even going to look at the future, but of existing technology right now, what concerns you most in terms of ethics? I'm concerned about designer babies. We have the ability right now to determine the height, the hair color, the, the shape of the nose, the color of the eyes, all of those things. And there are parents out there who are going to want to design their baby. And there's so many ethical issues around this. Think about this. If Adolf Hitler had been able to create this super breed of soldiers, the outcome of World War II may have changed in favor of Germany. Imagine superhuman soldiers capable of blocking out pain with endless endurance, who require very little sleep, who don't experience fear, and with senses and reflexes as keen as any creature in the animal kingdom. It's mind-boggling to think what governments would do with a vast army of these bioengineered soldiers. Genetically engineered soldiers would not only be physical specimens capable of superhuman feats, they might also be programmed psychologically 
through manipulation of the brain to show no mercy, to be relentless, to be basically robots for the state. Anytime there's some exciting new technology, it seems the government can take that technology and turn it into something sinister. But what could be wrong with a parent wanting to make sure that their child had intellect and they were physically strong and that they were healthy and they were not subject to disease? I mean, designer babies actually seems kind of like a good thing to me. On the surface, that would seem like a good thing. Look a little bit deeper. Who can afford a designer baby? Not everyone. So those who are rich are going to have athletic children, intelligent children, children who are good-looking and capable of succeeding in life. And those who are less fortunate are going to have average children or normal children as they would be today. Designer babies are going to grow up and dominate in the workplace. It's a proven fact that tall people tend to have better jobs. They earn more than people who are shorter. Imagine parents changing their children's skin color and hair color and eye color and height and all these things just to provide advantage for their children. Again, what parent doesn't want an advantage? But the problem is that this is going to be determined by income. You're going to have a greater barrier between the haves and the have-nots in terms of genetics. Do you really want the rich to also become intellectually superior to the rest of us? I don't. Intelligence is also an attribute that's included in our genetic code. Researchers believe that with advanced genetic editing tools, they'll be able to flip the switch on several thousand traits related to intelligence in order to create super intelligent humans. These special designer babies will exceed all mental limits thought humanly possible. They'll be even more intelligent than any human in history. Albert Einstein, Stephen Hawking, they possessed an IQ of around 160 or higher. But these new super babies could have IQs exceeding 1,000. So the question is this. How do we allow certain genetic traits to be altered, such as eliminating predisposition for diabetes, for instance, yet at the same time prevent genetic scientists from altering genes to deal with intelligence or our strength? Or should there be any limits? Here's the problem in restricting super baby production. U.S. law already limits certain procedures due to ethical concerns. But parents who want to have a baby with all the best switches turned on genetically can simply travel to a clinic in another nation that doesn't have the same ethical barriers. That really can't be prevented, can it? No, it can't. Different jurisdictions have different ethics. I remember when abortion was illegal in South Carolina when I was in high school. Girls would simply take a trip to Illinois and pay $300 there for a legal and safe abortion rather than risk an unsanitary and illegal abortion at home in South Carolina. The same thing's going to happen with any unethical medical procedure that people want. They're simply going to travel to another jurisdiction to have it done. And contemplate this for a moment with your unenhanced brain. Scientists are currently working on technology to augment human intelligence by embedding zillions of facts in our brains on computer chips that will also take advantage of artificial intelligence technology. That opens another whole can of worms, doesn't it? Imagine embedded chips that don't only alter human intellect, but also control human response to authority. It's so easy to understand why ethical boundaries need to be clearly defined before this technology matures and is deployed. Exactly. But how do we prevent people from skirting around ethical boundaries? 
For instance, if I need a kidney to stay alive, I don't have to wait in line to receive one. I can just purchase one in some third world country. Well, actually, they're, they're known as developing nations, but sadly, that's true. Lenders in developing nations around the world now include body parts as collateral on their loans. If a borrower can't repay a loan, no problem. They'll just remove a kidney or any other useful body part included in the loan agreement and sell them to wealthy foreigners. That's crazy. Can't international law prevent that? Laws and ethical guidelines may already be in place, but doctors and enforcers, they can be bought off. That brings up another point regarding the involvement of governments in bioethics. Medical research or procedures that are deemed to be unethical here in the United States or in Britain, they've been outlawed, are simply going to be moved to another country. China, for instance, is known to have some very lax laws regarding bioethics. So is it even possible to obtain consensus among governments regarding issues such as human clothing? <laughs> you mean cloning? Yeah. Well, that's another podcast altogether, but I think there needs to be some ethics put in place regarding human clothing. <laughs> well, let's get back to the point. The United Nations does have a bioethics committee, and they've issued what's known as the Universal Declaration on the Human Genome and Human Rights. The Universal Declaration is composed using mostly generic language that includes dignity, equality, mutual respect, solidarity, freedom, sharing... But Article 11 is more specific, and it says practices which are contrary to human dignity, such as reproductive cloning of human beings, shall not be permitted. Oh, so that's that. It's against international law to clone humans, so it's not going to happen. Well, since Dolly the Sheep was cloned in 1996, the United Nations has been actively debating the issue of human cloning. And the common understanding is that compliance with regulations coming out of the United Nations are voluntary rather than binding. So while human cloning may be technically forbidden, member nations that disagree with the ruling can opt out voluntarily. So when Americans become outraged over the use of aborted fetus tissue in research and the practice stops here in the United States, that doesn't mean that the practice actually stops, does it? Not really, no. Unethical medical research simply moves to another location. Can't these rogue nations and research companies be sanctioned in some way? Companies are going to simply create a shell company under another name to remove the stigma. And the United Nations has no power to enforce anything if compliance is in fact voluntary. And China, as a member of the United Nations Security Council, can simply veto any challenge against their nation. It seems hopeless. It is. Well, on that happy note, let's talk about genome-based discrimination. The mapping of the human genome was completed in April 2003, and scientists around the world are still excited about the realm of possible medical advancements that are going to come from this remarkable effort. But isn't there a negative side to this as well? Medically, no. But ethicists have a long list of concerns. For instance, you may be denied employment based on genome-based discrimination. Employers already want to take a look at your social media accounts to get a little better picture of who you are, and they may soon demand a strand of hair to determine who you are biologically. They might refuse to hire you or promote you if they don't like what they see. What in the world could they possibly be looking for 
Why would an employer care about my biological makeup? A gene mutation that causes or increases the risk of some inherited disorder might be enough for an employer or insurance company to treat you differently. And while the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act is designed to protect people from this form of discrimination, there are loopholes. It doesn't apply to companies that employ less than 25 people. And while it applies to health insurance, it doesn't apply to long-term care insurance, life insurance, or disability insurance. And the U.S. military is exempt. They're allowed to discriminate based on genetic testing. What we now understand about the human genome is going to radically change so many industries. Skincare, for instance. They can just modify your genes to have the skin tone and the skin color and texture that you want. There's going to be some radical changes in the future. And it's not all bad. Genetic alterations might be able to slow down or even prevent the aging process. Think about that as an industry. The fabled fountain of youth might be close at hand. And don't forget the issue of cryonics. For a couple hundred thousand dollars, you can now have your corpse or your severed head frozen and stored at very low temperatures with the hope that some future technology may allow you to be resurrected from the dead into a world that is free of disease, death, and aging. Well, I view myself as an eternal soul that's housed in this temporary body. So I have absolutely no interest in extending the life of a finite disposable vessel. But if you could make biological enhancements to yourself, what kind of change would you make? Well, I suppose I'd go for the superintelligence. <laughs> I thought you'd go for that. Yeah, me too. Well, Barry, our time is up for today. I'd like to thank you for being such an insightful guest on today's podcast. It was wonderful to have you back in the studio, and I look forward to hosting you again soon. How about next week? Great. Add it to your calendar and join me with me next week on Conversations with Myself. And please like, share, and then text your friends about this podcast. Then write a letter to your grandmother and tell her you love her. Next week's podcast will examine the future of online education. There are some incredible things coming educationally for the next generation. The classroom, as you knew it, as you know it now, will have died. And in its place will be some remarkable, interactive online curriculum in flavors you've never tasted before. I'll leave it at that for now. So join me with me next week on Conversations with Myself to examine the rapidly changing world of online education. <laughs>